Hey everybody, it's Lisa Lampanelli, the Queen of Maine, and you know what? I got my own podcast. Yeah, does everyone have one? Pretty much, but mine's different because I'm going to help you like I help myself. Get Stuffed with Lisa Lampanelli every week is going to teach you how to have the fabulous life that I have. If you don't listen, you're just stupid and don't want to help yourself. So don't even listen. I don't even want you to. But if you do, if you disobey my orders and listen, you can go to feralaudio.com or download it from iTunes. But again, don't listen. I don't even care. Today's episode is brought to you by Last Rampage, the new true crime film starring Robert Patrick, Heather Graham, and Bruce Davison. And we had the pleasure of speaking to someone involved with the movie. Hi, my name is Heather Graham, and I'm playing Dorothy Tyson in the movie The Last Rampage. The Last Rampage is a true story about uh, Gary Tyson and how his sons broke him out of prison, and uh, it's a very dark story, and Gary Tyson is not a good guy. I play his wife, and I'm super loyal and devoted to him, even though he's pretty much the worst person in the world. One thing I think is interesting about the movie is a lot of these movies, they tell a story about like, oh, this rebellious guy who was this cool gunslinger and, you know, he did it all these wrong things, but he did it for the right reason. And I think this story sort of turns that story on its head because it's got, at first you think he's a cool guy, but then you're like, no, this guy is just like a selfish, self-centered, narcissistic jerk. I like stories about real people. I think sometimes real life is stranger than fiction. Like, I mean, some of the stuff that happens, you just go, I can't believe this is real, but it's real. And then if you do more research, it's even stranger than the stuff they put in the script. It's just like, sometimes real life is stranger than fiction. Don't miss Last Rampage, the true story of the prison break of Gary Tyson. In theaters September 22nd and available for on-demand pre-order August 22nd. Find out more on Twitter by following at LastRampageFilm or on Facebook.com slash LastRampageFilm. Welcome to the X-Files Files. I'm Kamel Nanjiani. I'm your host. So this episode is different from the other episodes in that I interviewed Darren Morgan, who is one of my favorite writers of all time. And he wrote four episodes. He wrote Humbug. He wrote War of the Copperphages. He wrote Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. And he wrote Jose Chung's From Outer Space. And the last two of those, every X-Files top ten list has both of those episodes. Um, so I was really, really nervous to talk to him because he's clearly such a genius and such a smart guy and he just seems so heady. Um, so I was really, really nervous to meet him. I didn't know what he was going to be like, but, you know, he was awesome and he was like very, very funny and very friendly and very nice. And, uh, you know, I, not, I don't know what I expected, but I guess I should have known because his episodes are really, really funny. They're, you know, they're, they're about these sort of big big heady themes but they end up being really really funny and um that's what he was like he was just a really smart really funny really great cool guy and uh we talked for a couple of hours and we only got to uh humbug and clyde bruckman's final repose so he said he's gonna come back and we're gonna talk about uh 
the next two episodes. And um, yeah, I mean, I had to run out, but I could have talked to him for five hours. Uh, I really hope you guys like this episode. We uh, sort of jump around a little bit. We don't really go past Clyde Bruckman too much. But we talk a lot about Clyde Bruckman. We talk a lot about Humbug. He has like great stories about making the show, about writing those episodes, about the themes of those episodes and how people interpret them and stuff. I, I, I just really, really, really like this guy and I really like this episode. And it's, you know, it meant a lot to me to be able to meet someone who's written stuff that really has affected me personally in such a profound way. And to meet them, have them be cool. You know, they say never meet your heroes, but this was a good hero to meet um, just the normal stuff please subscribe to us on iTunes um, at X-Files Files uh, on Twitter uh, subreddit is slash X-Files Files there's some um, great conversations going on over there and um, yeah that's it uh, hope you guys like talking to uh, or listening to me talk to Darren Morgan Hey, so I am very, very excited to bring Darren Morgan into the studio. How's it going? I'm okay. I was like, I've, I gotta say, I've been really nervous about this. Me too. Were you? Yeah. Because originally when you asked me, I was like, oh yes, this will be fun. And then as I got closer, I was like, what do I talk? And then I was like, oh, should I watch the episodes? <laughs> and, uh, I have my scripts, like, do, should I go over them? And I don't think, I mean, you've... You wrote them, so I think you don't need to study for it. Okay, okay, but here's the thing. Okay, I was before you started recording. I was t I have all my X file memorabilia. Yeah. In a box in a yes. garage labeled X file crap. Yeah. So I went through all of it because I thought there'd be a lot of interesting. And there wasn't. Um, like my t <laughs> the TV guides uh, yeah. that have like the Fluke Man episode. It like goes Fluke Man dot 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 Darren Morgan. So like I yeah, that's budget. cool. Um, but I. I and I I don't remember having done this, but after I left the show, I wrote to myself just notes about my memories of being on the show. Oh wow! Because I have a really bad memory, and I knew twenty years from now I'd be doing this podcast, right? So I I read the stuff over. I forgot I had written the letters I, to yourself. Yeah, and I remembered most of the stuff, but there was a handful of things that like I was going, I have no recollection of this. And it kind of scared me. Yeah. You know, so if in our discussion, if I go, according to me, <laughs> such as that happened, but I don't remember it. Yeah. Yet. And so that was kind of disturbing. Yeah. So I, I do remember, you know, I wrote the things and, you know, so yes, I remember most of it, but there are things where like I go, I, do I don't you, know. Do you like watching those episodes again? Or <laughs> is it, because I know... This, I don't want to jump ahead. Right. I read something that you weren't happy with how Humbug turned out. Yeah. Um, so do you like watching Clyde Bruckman or Jose Chung, which it feels like are the ones you, you like the most? Well, uh, last year, uh, all the three season, season three episodes were all uh, shown publicly. Yeah, I, I saw that. I didn't know about it. Yeah, so and, and I all, all my life I've just wanted to see uh, an, an episode with an audience because you think about it, TV, yeah, you never get to see a, an audience, and so I was really excited about that, S and so that was a lot of fun. Uh, in preparation for this, like not knowing whether I should, why well, this morning I go, well, I'll go through Clyde Bruckman because I think that's what we're going to talk about, and I started watching. And I go, oh, I can't watch this. <laughs> why? Because <laughs> there were there's some things about it that are just kind of 
bad. I watched a lot of it, but I, I had to fast forward through stuff. And then I go, okay, I'll do Humbug. And I, I just fast forward through Humbug, and I don't like the cockroach episode like at all. And I Okay. I started fast forwarding. It's through. funny you can't even call it by its yeah, name. Well, like you have to like demean it yeah. by calling it the cockroach episode. <laughs> it's easier to say. <laughs> um, but like, uh, so I put in Jose Chung and I started watching Jose Chung, and that's why I was actually late getting here because I started. I watched the whole episode. So that's your favorite. I, yes, I, I used to, I used to acknowledge or say, okay, I understand Clyde Buckman is is the better script, is a better episode. But personally, I like Jose Chung. It's just sort of my my tastes and, and stuff like that. But now I I can watch Jose Chung and really enjoy it because it doesn't feel like I'm going, oh, I'm really good. Like, I like it so much that it's not like I don't... It's like I didn't even do it. Like, I can laugh at stuff going, oh, that was really funny. Yeah, I wonder who you know? wrote that. Yeah, exactly. And you can't do that. You can't separate yourself a lot of times from your I own know. self. So, sure. Um but, okay, so what was it about Clyde Bruckman that you didn't like oh, watching? No, I mean, I still like the episode. Sure. Uh, uh, the teaser, the teaser's actually really kind of bad. The teaser? Yeah. Um, He's like reading the thing and then the, we see the... Lala Palazzo? Yeah, it's just, it, there's an awkwardness in that whole, in the whole teaser. And I was going, oh, this isn't as good as I remember. And then it, it gets better. Um. I like I like the teaser because you see the two titans meeting in the beginning uh, by chance and yeah. then they don't meet again till the end, right? Um and that whole exchange that line is so good where he's like what's well, Lala Palazzo and he goes who's Buddy Holly? I really like that. Okay. It's then really I take it back. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't want to. All right. Well, I wanted to ask you. So, like I said, I was very nervous for this. I didn't know what to bring up. I was very nervous to record the episode with Steve Aspel for Clyde Bruckman because it was like, I was very intimidated because I do, do love it. It's my favorite episode of any television show ever. I've watched it more than any other television episode. Uh, it like makes me cry. It's amazing. And so I was very nervous for, for recording that. And what we decided to do was we'll just talk about what it means to us and not try and tackle what it is on its own, because that seems too scary. And it doesn't feel like something that I, I didn't, I didn't feel up to it, but I wanted to. So then I was scared to meet you, but you're very um, disarming and charming. I'm schlubby. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> no, you're. I mean, you were great as Eddie Van Blunt in uh, Small Potato. You don't like that episode? Well, I don't have to like that one because I'm in it. Okay. Do you not like, no, uh, like the it. host? No. I mean, you know, I no. I mean, I like the yeah. 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 You're very hard on yourself, right? Yes, but. I'm much harder on other people's stuff than Great. my own. <laughs> Good to know. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm just being honest, people always think I'm harder and they don't seem to know that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Actually, I like that. Do you, question number one. Do you uh, hate Fox Mulder? <laughs> I feel like in every episode, you're what you do so well is you sort of take the expectations of the audience and what the show is and you kind of turn them on their head. Uh -huh. So each time, there's that great shot of Fox Mulder and... Humbug, where Jim Rose goes, can you imagine looking like that your whole life? And he has yeah. this really exaggerated, dumb superhero pose. And then in his entrance in Clyde Bruckman is also like, who the hell are you? Um, and it, it feels like you like to sort of 
take his power away and show him to be a bit of a putz. Okay, I know what you're saying. <laughs> um, I I think a lot of those put downs of Mulder are are, are directed a lot towards Duchovny. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to separate the two characters. I think like the thing in Humbug, because uh, it being my first episode, I guess, and writing about the characters for the first time, the one thing I just watching the show kind of thought was bullshit was Mulder and Scarlet are just too good looking to ever be outsiders, which is how they're presented. Right. And you go, Mulder would never have problems of being yeah. accepted or like yeah. treated the way I've been treated. Let's he's say. super hot. Yeah. So it's like that that was the whole, oh, he's the outsider and and, and I never uh, bought into that. Um this doesn't quite address the that thing but this is a story and i asked glenn this story and glenn doesn't remember this okay. so this might be a thing like it didn't happen but i'm pretty sure this is how it happened when i when i first started uh on staff uh i was sitting in glenn's office and sarah charno she was sarah charno she's now sarah cooper um, um she was she, isn't she married to the she, she's married to the killer yes right at the time she was yes. married to the killer. Uh, and she was pitching her first story to to Glenn, just like kind of talking it out. And she had, uh, she goes, okay, so there's a crime scene and Mulder shows up at the crime scene and uh, asks what happens and the detective tells and, and Mulder writes it down. And then, and then Glenn goes, no, 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 Mulder doesn't write things down. <laughs> and I remember like when he said it going, oh, it's true. Yeah. Like Mulder doesn't write things down. <laughs> and then his his explanation for why that is was like Mulder goes to a crime scene and he already knows he already suspects it's aliens which nobody else does so right. he's one step ahead of everyone right so when he asks uh, what happened here he doesn't really care he just wants to hear the one detail that makes him go yeah, I was right right it's aliens yes so he doesn't ah. have to write down now Glenn claims because he doesn't remember that and he goes I would never say that so that must have been a Chris thing yeah but i've never heard chris say it to any other writers so i don't right. know where that came but to me when i heard that that made such an impression that i that that became like the defining characteristic of Mulder to me which yeah is like, he's the guy that doesn't write things down yeah. <laughs> and so the other writers i think all kind of approach the characters as kind of mythic hero who's like searching for the truth and all that and to me he was just the guy that doesn't write things down yeah <laughs> just stayed with me that's really good and i bet if you watch this series as you're going through i bet he never writes he's any. never i've never seen him he pencils are for tossing into the ceiling right yeah and i bet though scully probably doesn't do a lot of writing either <laughs> no but it's interesting because what i thought about you know cuz the way the show is set up other than your episodes, it's set up so that Mulder's right, Scully's wrong most of the time, right? right? It's a little unfair in that Scully is sort of the smart one, the rational one, who's actually following the right procedure, the scientific method. Mulder's the one doing crazy stuff, and then he turns out to be right. It's a little unfair in that she's sort of our emissary from this rational wall into that crazy X-Files world. So she's wrong, even though she really shouldn't be. And then in your episodes... You kind of flip that in that she does become the more, the the the, the one who's right, the 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 smarter one, and Mulder is sort of shown to be a little like the scene that I keep thinking about uh, in Clyde Bruckman. Uh, it's a little different from this, but there's a part where 
Mulder and Scully are in the hallway after Devich spent a night with Clyde Bruckman. Right. And Mulder says he doesn't like him anymore. Mm-hmm. And Scully goes, actually, I'm beginning to like him because Mulder just wants to use him for his paranormal powers. And Scully is actually connected with him in a very personal way, right? right? And so I thought that was a very interesting way to deal with the differences in their characters in a way that doesn't seem that... It doesn't put Mulder in a in a in the best light. That that was like I, I said that almost word for word when I pitched the story to Chris after going through the plot and go, see Mulder's just interested in the psychic thing. Scully doesn't believe in it, so she can react to him as a human being. Yeah, and that's the whole that whole episode is just that. That is what it is, and that I. I and I've seen it so, so many times, but this time when I watched it, I told you I watched it three times last weekend, mm-hmm. the same day, but when I watched it the day before, it was, the, for whatever reason, it was the most I've been emotionally moved by it at the end when he, he you know, when she's holding him and she's he, you see the tear fall down his face. And I'd always thought of it as a very sad ending. And then this time when I watched it, I saw it, in a very dark way, as sort of a happy ending, because when he's describing himself, um, you know, when he's dead and he's decaying and stuff, mm-hmm. and he talks about what does he say? It's the first time I feel comfort in a long time, <laughs> yeah. ever. Yeah. And to me, that was like, oh, so he, for him, this actually is the happiest ending possible. Is that a weird way to look at it? Is that how yeah. you saw it? <laughs> because his life has been so awful. Yeah. This that, is that's one way of looking at it. To me, it's sort of the ending of, I talked about this when I recorded the episode, but Brazil at the end, mm-hmm. where he's, you know, escapes and all right. that stuff in his head. If you look at it, in a, it's super dark, but in a weird way, it's kind of a happy ending, right? Like the happiest possible ending for that guy is that in his head he's escaped, is living this happy life. That's how I sort of thought of it this time. It actually kind of made me happy this time, rather than <laughs> sad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 sort of almost unrelentingly sad. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, I I understand what you're saying, and there's some truth there. Um, I've always looked at it as having no uplifting qualities. Really? Yeah. Well, he kills himself. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that is a very simple way of putting it. But and what's sad is like. And I, this is this time it also really hit me when he's pulling the head of lettuce out or cabbage, whatever, yeah. and he sees his own head in there. Yeah, he's been seeing his own oh, death yeah. like so, random times for years. Th- that's got to be devastating. Not just other people's deaths, which well, is pretty depressing. That's that was the the whole idea behind the the episode. If people can see the future, uh, they should be able to see your everybody's ultimate future. Which is their death, yeah. and they should be able to see every everyone they encounter. They should be able to see them as, and if as they're they're dying or their death pose. And if you did that, you you'd go insane. Yeah, and, and that's yeah. I I I, I stole the Glenn had this uh, handbook for crime scene investigation, like a real what you do crime scene book, and it had all these uh, crime scene photos. Uh, and I stole it from him, and I was looking through that for, I, I don't know, for humbug, I don't know what. And I, ha- I would have it in my office, and people would come in, and they just pick up the book, and kind of, they'd start going through it, and I have to go, hey, uh, the pictures are really disturbing. Yeah. People would go, oh, I 
I've seen it all. I've been around. You know, I've seen this stuff. And they would look at the pictures and they wouldn't re really react. They wouldn't say anything. And then they'd, they'd go away. And a, a day or two later, they'd always come back and go, man, that book. Yeah. That really, that really fucked me up. Stays it, with you. Yeah. And it, and it, and it does when you see that stuff. And so that to me was part of the whole episode. Um, if you can predict someone's future, you should be able to predict their death. And so you're seeing these pictures and that would ruin your life. Yeah. And I thought it was so interesting. There's another great exchange that he has where, uh, is it Mulder or Scully says that she gets used to death and he goes, I'm not sure you're supposed, supposed to. to. Yeah. And it's, you know, he's a guy who's obviously depressed and, you know, kind of fucked up from all this, but he still, every single time he sees death, it affects him. Like with that old lady, when he sees the dog eating her, he's trying right. to help her. So in a way, he's kind of an optimist in a way in that it still is like affecting him. And he still thinks, well, I mean, I don't know if optimist is <laughs> the best way to put it. But he's still, in a way, more human than Mulder is. He's more human than Mulder. I well, because it seems like Mulder is so like, at least in your scripts, what you get at is that he's so like taken with his quest with right. a capital Q for truth with a capital T that this other stuff doesn't really matter. And it, it really, you really get to it when you sort of see him not liking Clyde Bruckman because Clyde's not helping him with the murder investigation, right? Yeah, I I think that that's one of the things that I didn't, it isn't so much Mulder, but I have a thing when people are so confident. Mulder's always kind of confident that he's right. Yes. And those kind of people always kind of make me nervous. <laughs> so I think that, let me ask you a question about the, because as, as I was rewatching it, because what I found when I rewatched this morning, I was noticing things that I go, the things that I like were the things that I go, if we had to do the episode now, it'd have to be different, things would be different. And when Bruckman, he's in the hotel room and he lights the guy's cigarette. Yeah. And then the guy goes into the bathroom and, and, and you see the shot of the lighter. Yeah. And Bruckman goes, oh God. Yeah. And there's not gonna do any lights to kill him. Do you know what he's reacting to when he's looking at the lighter? Um, it seemed to me that it was that the lady's dead. Yeah. Right? Right. That's yeah. correct. If you were doing that, the show nowadays, the ne the executives would insist. Oh, a flash. flash. Yes. They, they would, because they go, no one's understand. And then the thing is, is like, you don't have to put that together. It's not really necessary in order to follow a story. But they would insist, no, people don't know what, what's the lighter. You'd have to flash back to, it's here. no, this is your lighter, and then the dog eating. Oh, yeah. The same thing when Scully goes, uh, when she figures out it's the the bellboy. Yeah. You would have to have flashes of her seeing the bellboy in the crowd. Yeah. the bellboy is in the crowd. Yeah, the he's in all, almost all of them, yeah. He's in the first two, and he's not in the third one, and that's one of the things subconsciously she's kind of like going... He's not there. And yeah. she kind of pieces it all together Yeah, from the lace to not being in the thing. But executives now would want a series of flash flashbacks. Yeah. So, oh, it all comes in so everyone would know. Yeah. I guess, yeah. So so let's go, like, what was your experience like working on the X-Files? Like when we, before we started recording, you were saying that um, 
you know, you were talking about this, how at that specific time when you were working on the X-Files, it was a pretty positive experience, right? And perhaps some of the other stuff you've done has, oh. <laughs> has not been. Uh, well, it, how has it been different? Well, no, well, here, well, okay, the main difference, uh, the main difference, uh, okay, I only did four episodes. I only got. Crazy. Yeah, I know. But I only those four episodes. I only got one note from an executive. Yeah. Okay. Every other show I've ever done since, uh, I added one show. The first page was like twenty to thirty notes on like one page, and it's shocking to me that the executive the executives now are much more hands on right from the get go. Yeah. And they a lot of shows require outlines, which I hate. Yes, and those are just those are just documents for the executives to be able to give you notes. Yeah, and if you're doing the show now, none of my episodes would go to script. You think so? Yeah, there's no way they would have done humbug. They there, there's no way they would have let me write the script. They write from the right from the outline. They go, oh no no no. And what's shocking to me is not only did they you know when when I did turned in humbug, you heard the things there was concerns. To not do it, that it would ruin the show. Well, I I read you saying that you were scared of it being funny and how the audience was going to react to it, right? The executives were terrified that it would be funny and ruin the tone of the sh of the show, and so what's shocking to me is not only did they let us do it, but that they didn't ask us to do any changes. That's amazing. Yeah. Nowadays they would go, okay, we'll let you do it, but change this, 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 this and they wouldn't change it so much. That there'd be no point in doing it. Yeah, you know. So that was the, that's the biggest difference. And that, and and when writing, I never when I wrote, I never anticipated hearing from the executives, which changes the way you write. Of course. Because sometimes now you're writing, you go, why put this in? They're yeah. gonna. Uh, and the one note was a Clyde Bruckman, uh, <laughs> note. And this and this is how things are different too, because now they would go change this. We don't like this. Yeah. Uh, executive called me, and I don't know. It, uh, the executive was Jeff Jeff Eckerly, who is now a friend of mine. He's now a writer, and he actually ended up marrying Marilyn Osborne, who was a writer on the first season. Okay. And uh, I don't know if he was with Fox Television or Twentieth TV. Yeah. But he just called and goes, "Oh, I read Clyde Bruckman. That was a great script. Really like it. I got one concern. Uh, okay, the the scene when." Uh, Scully and Bruckman are in the hotel. Like we really need them to kind of bond, uh, so that at the end it's you know. Um, and I don't know if there's like enough there. Like I don't know if is there not. I'm worried. And I go well. Uh, I'm worried too. I know what you're saying, uh, but the script's already long. Uh, I can, and the thing is the in the original script there's actually it's actually that scene is actually longer. There's another like page scene between. Scully and Bruckman. Was it shot? Yeah. It's somewhere. It's somewhere. It's not very good. It's <laughs> probably why it was cut. And you can tell because it goes from like, uh, he's like going, oh, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm doing background checks. We, we can't. This is how we do our work. We can't. Yes, that's right. And he goes, jealous or something? Yeah. And then when we come back next to him time, the next time, I think she's like got her, her shoes off and she's going, how do you die? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, there's like a kind of jump there. Yeah. There was a little page there where they just kind of talked about 
fader patterns or I don't remember what fader what? patterns fate oh fate pa the okay. patterns of one's life yeah and I think he mentioned how Bruckman kind of mentions you may have already seen this killer before yeah you don't okay. know that but you know you'll meet him and he'll be the killer and then you'll realize that there was kind of a pattern to your life right you now existed um, so so that was there so the scene was actually longer in the script um, but the thing is, and so I go, I can't really add another scene. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what I would do to to create that. I, I go, I really think it's a performance thing. Yes. Uh, and I'll tell that to the director, so I'm yes. sure he knows. But I, I think we can get it. Both, you know, we got Peter Boyle and, of course, Who's Jillian. Amazing. Right, and you got Jillian, so they can. And, and so Jeff goes, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing because you go, that, okay, that's not how that it happens. Sound, right. That's crazy. Right, and so it's like the guy had a concern. He expressed it. I heard him. I understood it. Said him what my point, and he agreed with me. And then we went on our merry way. And that wouldn't happen nowadays. That's yeah. not how it would go. And the thing is, too. Okay, so I rewatched that scene. There are hits morning. and there are misses, and then there are misses. That little moment. Yeah. She goes, "There are hits and misses," and then when he goes, "I just call him as I see him," and she laughs, and she smiles back. That was all that's you needed. It. And it's not. It's not my dialogue or anything. It's just that's the performance. When she laughs. That scene like tears me up, and then when she goes, uh, "How do I die?" and he goes, "You don't." That I mean, what more do you need? Right. Um, but now, are you not going to ask me? Do you want me to ask you? <laughs> well, it leads into other. It leads into other things. But... For me, I never thought of it as anything more. Than, at least every time I watch it, and I know later, you know, it's a thing that right. has been made a thing of. Right. I just thought of it as a very sweet moment between two people. Um, God bless you. That's always that's all <laughs> that I was, ever yes, thought. Yes, that that was the intention. Yeah. Okay. Great. Right. And I don't know, I don't know what they did later in the series yeah. to give people the think that there's as significance to that. Yeah. Because I stopped watching at a certain point. And there are times when me and Glenn are like on panels or something, and the people start talking about things, and we look at each other like, "What, what, what are, are they you, talking about?" Yeah, we because Glenn leaves after four. Like he comes back, and then he four is his last one, right? Right. And three is your last yeah. one. Yeah. And then I, you know, I continued to watch the show after I left because I was friends with all the writers. Yeah. And it was curious to see Glenn came back, and then I was on season four. Yes. And then season five, I did Millennium with Glenn and Jim, and our offices were all right next. So I, I probably watched up to, through season five. Wait, you were on season four? Uh, acting, uh, the Small Potatoes. Is, oh, that's season four. Right, so right. it's like, yeah. like I said, I, I was friends with all the guys, I was curious yeah. to what they were doing, and so I kept watching up to a certain point. But, yeah. But this is, okay, this, this is an interesting thing, because uh, so many people have asked me about that line and what does it mean and all that stuff. And I've read all these reviews where they're like, well, it's so I guess Scully's an immortal. Right, right. What are you talking about? Right. But here's, and I've tried to tell people this, being a staff writer, television staff writer, people don't really kind of know what that is in a weird sort of way because they know like screenwriters because you've seen movies being made and writer. But like a television staff writer has never really been portrayed like what that's like. And this is like an ex example. It's like you're, you're writing characters that you didn't create, all right, and you're there's someone above you making decisions that, that affect you. And then if you leave the show, or even, but, but in my case, I leave, leave the show, and the show continues on, 
And then they do things with the characters that you have no say in, nor should you, but it can affect how people go back and look at your episodes. And so, because I've tried, I've, I've, I got the question so often, I kept going, imagine this happened. They could have, Chris could have, when Duchovny wanted to leave the show, go, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna end the Mulder character and this is how we're gonna do it. We're gonna reveal that Mulder actually killed his sister. Back when they were kids, he killed her and he came up with the whole alien abduction thing as an alibi and all this searching for the truth is just BS. You would then go back and watch all the episodes and there'd be all these lines where you go, oh, oh yeah. this is what, which would not be what the writer intended. Of course. And there's nothing you can do about it. Right. It's Chris's show or it didn't even have to be, you know, Chris could have left the show. Someone else could have, yeah. Right, exactly. And there's nothing you can do about it. And so you're always sort of like, you did the work then, yeah, and you can only kind of explain it. You're just kind of a. There's nothing you can do about well, it. Well, and I think honestly, I, you know, that's interesting because I think a lot about like Batman. You know, Batman's a character that's been interpreted so many times, right. and he's there's so many different iterations of it. You know, it, it, so when you think of Batman, you're thinking of so many different versions of it, and uh, to, in a smaller scale, you're saying it sort of is true for this show as well. What is interesting to me is when Ridley Scott said that Blade Runner, that he was a replicant, you know, he said that like last year or something, right. that really pissed me off. Right. I got really, I was like, that's not, you know what? It, it's kind of not up to you. It's kind of up to the audience. <laughs> right. And the same way when people ask you that, it's kind of up to the person watching it. It's yeah. your intention, I think, the artist's intention sort of, dies once the thing is out there and then it's sort of its own thing and it lives and what you meant doesn't really, really matter. So it always bugs me when people ask that question. Um, it might be, I guess, interesting just to see what the intention is, but that intention shouldn't affect your interpretation. I think, for instance, like I really like Donnie Darko and then I've seen Richard Kelly's, you know, describing what he thinks the movie is and I was like, I don't think that's what the movie is. And right. I think what the movie is in my head is better. And so, uh, it to me, it's certainly right. better. Right. I like it better. I like my movie better than his movie, right. you know? So, to me, that stuff isn't as important. Um, but I guess it, it it is interesting to hear what the... So, you just meant it as a sweet little moment, and then these yeah. fucking nerds... <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting, that happened right from the get-go. I remember Howard Gordon, uh, right after right after it aired, goes, uh, Darren, uh, people are asking me. <laughs> I, I, I just took it that he was just being nice to her. Yeah. That's how Howard talks. Yeah. Uh, am I right? I go, yeah. Yeah. He just, <laughs> it's just a very sweet moment. Yeah. And, and then, you know, obviously I'm sure people ask you whether Mulder's death is canon, autoerotic asphyxiation. Yes, it is. <laughs> that one yes, is canon. There's no, yeah, there's no room for interpretation. <laughs> that is how he's going to yes. die. So here's what, um, I noticed that this time when I watched it, when he says that line, yeah. Peter Boyle does right. this like smack, like this celebratory smack. <laughs> yeah. I love the performance so much. Yeah. When he passed away, you know, and I liked Everybody Loves Raymond and a lot of the other stuff, I, but the first thing I did was I rewatched Clive Brown because uh -huh. to me that was... Uh, one of the best things of working on the series was watching dailies and just watching Peter Boyle and just going, Peter Boyle's doing my lines. <laughs> <laughs> um, my mom, 
who being a mom also loved everyone, loves Raymond, she would always go, Peter Boyle got that part because of your episode, because of Clyde Bruckman. And I'd go, Mom, I don't, I don't think that's true. Because, <laughs> you know, it was a sitcom, a different thing, and he had a huge career. I don't think it was. She'd go, no, no, I know it. A couple years ago, I was working on a show, uh, and we start talking with other producers. We start talking about the X-Files, and one of the other producers goes, you know, uh, Peter Boyle got everyone loves Raymond because of Clyde Bruckman. Wow. And I go, oh, that's so funny. My mom used to say the same <laughs> thing. He goes, no, for real. My, my wife was the casting director. Wow. Yeah, and I don't know what that's true. No, but, but it a... makes sense because he's salty and funny in a similar kind of way, like this curmudgeonly but very, very funny. I remember when he got it, he, he had some problems with remembering lines and stuff because he was up there in age. And I was like going, how's he going to do a sitcom? Yeah. That was that in was, front of a live audience. I, so how did that? How did you guys? Because it was written for. Um, was it ever written for anybody specifically? Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, okay. The the personality of the character is kind of my dad. Okay. So yeah, that's what I read an interview with Glenn yeah, Moore, your brother. It, it has a lot of my dad, um, and there's an actor who kind of has some resemblance to my dad. And I wrote it for him in mind. He's a he was a film actor, a kind of a character actor. He's a great actor, and the reason why I thought we could get him is because he had just done his first TV show. So I go, oh, this guy was now doing TV. But I knew a guy who worked on that show, and I go, how's that guy to work with? And he's and he goes, uh, there's a reason why we killed him off. Oh. And he and there was like these horror stories that that I don't believe to this day yeah because the guy was a great and that's why i'm not saying his name obviously yeah um so i wrote it for an actor in mind and then once i go okay i don't i can't cast him i i had no idea who to cast yeah and because i've read that i had bob newhart in mind that's what i read yeah no what bob newhart was it's like one of those things like when you go oh who who do we cast and you just start throwing out names uh -huh. and so bob newhart was like one day i go bob newhart yeah. and then i did like an imitation of bob newhart doing one of the scenes <laughs> it, was. it was like funny i go this would work and like and i thought like you know stunt casting yeah because even like the x-files no i'm sorry no one watched it i know you're like doing the rating this was interesting about the ratings uh you're doing um when i worked on the show i never met anyone who watched the show really yeah, i never encountered anyone who knew but season was three was pretty big right I don't. I mean, it, compared the, to the ratings kept getting bigger. Yeah. But I don't think we were still on Friday nights. And it was still like in the fifties. Yes, because we were on Friday nights, so it always yeah. felt it wasn't until it moved to Sunday. It wasn't until after I left the show that it became a big hit. You know. So, Stood on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, no wait. What were we just talking about? The. Uh, um, well, uh, before the ratings. Before the ratings, we were talking about Bob Newhart. You oh yeah, Bob Newhart yeah. Version? So it was like Bob, Bob Newhart. Bob Newhart was just a name you toss out, mm -hmm. and I thought, yeah, Bob Newhart. People who don't watch the X Files, yeah, will watch the show. And our ratings, like you actually yeah. cared about shit like that. And then that was immediately we're not getting Bob Newhart, and then yeah. it was just like, and so I don't remember who suggested. So I'm I'm assuming Rick Milliken was our casting, Rick. Yeah, and uh, they said Peter Boyle, and at first I was like, oh no way, because he. I hadn't seen him a long Peter Boyle in a long time, and I, my impression, like as a kid, is always really big, yeah, powerful, yeah. Um, 
but then I, we saw a tape. I think he had done a NYPD Blue yeah. a year or two before, and you go, oh, he's he's gotten older, and okay, he works. And how was he? Did did you meet him or work with him on set at all? I intentionally avoided meeting him. I actually didn't meet him until uh, he was the one that gave him Miami. He was the presenter. Wow, the just where... randomly? Yeah. So the first time I met him, it was like, oh, hey. nice to meet you. you. know, he had won the night before. You're right. And so it was like, hi, nice to meet you. Yeah. Here's your Emmy. Thank you. Congratulations on yours. That was the first time. Oh, wow. Uh, here's why I avoided meeting him. And this is going to, this requires kind of a long humbug story. Please go okay. ahead. Well, I'd love to talk more about humbug okay. too. We haven't really done that very much. And, and the problem is, I don't know if some of this will translate. You might get it because you're an actor. I don't know if people listening will quite understand this. There's a way of talking. Well, like uh, the first time writer, first time you write dealing with actors, it's kind of scary. And even though, like, I had acted before, I had worked as an actor. Oh, you had? Yeah. Glenn had, Glenn had given me some parts in his uh, previous shows, like 21 Jump Street and stuff. And I was really bad. But I had done some acting, like, in high school and stuff. And I, thought I'd be able to do it. Yeah. Relate to actors and stuff like that. <sighs> okay, so <laughs> Humbug. Uh, Chris made me stay on the set for the whole shooting of Humbug because he was concerned like a comedy it wouldn't he didn't have time to rehearse and he wanted me there to go and you really can't do anything. You really can't oversee anything cuz production it's fast. Yes, it's a lot you, of pages. I, I was just there in case there was something completely wrong. You'd yeah. So I just was sitting. It was a miserable experience for me. You know? so, so. Oh, was it? Yeah. Why? Just because it's boring? Well, n not because it's boring, but you like, okay, they're doing a certain thing and you go, well, this is wrong. But I can't say it's wrong because it's not that wrong to stop. And it's not my job. Like a shot set up, you go, oh, I don't like this shot. That's not my job. It's now the once it starts shooting, it's the I director, see. and, and it's Kim Manners' first episode. Is that right? Uh, no, he had done uh, De Handy for Litz. Oh, right, 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 right. Um, Kim was great. Kim's great was a great guy. We hated each other at first. Uh, well, now, okay, I'm going. I'm going off on this is uh, later in Jose Chung that detective is based on. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. one who's always bleeping. Yeah, I want. We wanted to cast Kim. <laughs> and, he, and he was going to do it, and he got scared. Okay. Okay. Uh, Why did you guys hate each other? Well, here's the thing. I wrote the script, and when I when I finished the script, I go, oh, this is a masterpiece. <laughs> and Kim was like, what the fuck is this? Like, he thought he thought the script was un, kind of unproducible. This is Jose Chung? No, no. Um, Humbug? Yeah. And uh, he hated me because he didn't understand. Uh, he knew I didn't understand how difficult it was going to be an episode to shoot. And we were both kind of right in the sense that after sh doing the episode, I went, wow, what was I thinking? There was there's so much in Humbug that I go, oh yeah, that, why did I put that in there? That was like impossible. Like you mean like budget wise and yeah, time wise? Budget and yeah, yeah. Um, like the mirror sequence and uh, just the the creature, I call him the creature. But the creature is pretty, it's a tough, creature for yeah it, for like a tv show that's not super high budget right you it shouldn't have had it in there <laughs> but he works it's great I, 
We call it the creature, but it's a human being. Yes, I know. Um, Isn't that I, I'm the now, whole point yes. of the episode? Is that <laughs> exactly, these freaks I keep, are? I always call it the creature. I feel okay. Bad. I'm now in possession of the creature of Leonard. You have Leonard. Yes. Uh, the guys that made it gave it to Chris right after the show, and Chris had it for however, however long. And a few years back, I did some charity thing that Chris couldn't do, and uh, so he gave it to me as a as a gift. So I so Leonard is in my living room oh. with like a hipster. He's in a rocking chair with a hipster hat. And every Halloween, I put him out on my front porch, and I have uh, I put the candy bowl in Leonard's lap. You just lap. put Leonard out? Yeah. Well, I sit there with him. What's your address? I'm gonna come <laughs> steal it. And next when year. I got I got the pictures for this, uh, and, and when the kids come, I make them have to reach into the bowl that's in Leonard's uh-huh. lap. And just once, I want some kid to go, oh. Yeah. It's Leonard from that classic <laughs> X-Files episode. That n- not once. Well, these kids shouldn't be watching that episode. <laughs> oh, okay. The parents who are standing by them. <laughs> so they've, they've never recognized him. So, but things like that. Yeah, you just go, that's, is, forget it. Don't have that in there. So, so me and Kim initially really kind of butted heads. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of, okay, wait, I'm, tr- I'm trying to stay on this one story. So we're shooting this one scene. Uh, I'm sitting in my chair just minding my own business. And it's the scene when Lanny, who's Leonard's the twin. Vincent Chevalier. Right. Uh, they, it has this whole thing about you, the, the reveal that, okay, this is the twin. Oh, yeah. It's like not being something about being unloved. Right, right. It's, yeah. Okay. So I'm sitting there minding my own business. And Kim comes walking over with Vincent Chevalier, who played... Lanny. Yeah. And, and Kim comes over really uh, formally and says, Darren, one of the actors has a question about your script. <laughs> right. And Kim didn't talk like that. Yeah. Right? You're like, Kim oh, was Jesus very earthy. Christ. Right. So he goes, Here it comes. Right. And, and the minute he, okay, he goes, actor has a question yeah. about your script. And then I was like, Pew! he was like the roadrunner. He yeah. just disappeared. Right. <laughs> now, Vincent was a very interesting guy, very smart guy. And my recollection, like a- afterwards, is he, he was a pipe smoker. <laughs> and so he, he talked like someone who smoked a pipe. Okay. Okay. So he didn't have the pipe here, but he goes, but this is how we talked. He like goes, yes, I have a problem with this scene. Huh. And, uh, okay, well, you know what? And the thing was, I was prepared because, you know, here stories of like, okay, actors, like they try to not say lines they don't want to say or they make the lines they don't like, they make other actors say other things or they want more lines, all that kind of shit. So I was prepared for that. So that's what yeah. I thought it was. But it wasn't that, it, it wasn't about his, his his part. My recollection of, he had a problem with, why does the sheriff go, we need to take you to the hospital? He goes, why would, they, why would the sheriff? I don't understand. And like, yeah, that's, okay, your reaction. What? Yes, your reaction was my reaction. I'm like going, what? <laughs> I'm going, well, you've, you know, you ha- your twin's gone. You have a gaping hole. And he goes, yeah. but there's, I'm not bleeding. Well, <laughs> but she goes, well, there's blood there. He goes, but there's not a lie. It's not coming out. <laughs> so, okay. And so, like, it, we just kept going around. Like, I didn't understand why, you know, and the whole time, I'm just sweating. Yeah. Right? And in the back of my head, in the back of my head, I'm going, this guy was in Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. It's like one of my all-time favorite movies. I'm just going, this guy was in Cuckoo's Nest. And he's telling me there's something wrong with my script. Oh. So 
there must be something wrong with my script. But I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. You know, just like going, what? Yeah. And we we just went, it felt like a half hour. Right? <laughs> just like going round and round and round. And then they they finished setting up the lights. Yeah. So Kim comes over. goes, okay, guys, you got you got it worked out? Yeah. And Vince goes, mm, no, not really. <laughs> then Kim goes, well... Okay, uh, you've been drinking, so uh, the sheriff thinks you got alcohol poisoning, so you got to go to the hospital because you may die of alcohol poisoning. And Vincent goes, well, okay. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So, so do the scene. Yeah. Okay. Later on that night, we're at the bar at the hotel. It's me and, me and Kim. Vince Shvelli's there. Uh, and Jim Rose is there, and the, the guy that played the um, sheriff. We're all there. Kim's... Kim was a very hard worker, but he also played hard. Yeah. He's plastered. Yeah. He's plastered. And Jim Rose is probably plastered as well. Yeah. And and Vincent's there smoking his pipe, as yeah. I imagine. Maybe he didn't, but okay. Yeah. And Jim Rose, because he never Jim Rose had never acted before, and he was talking some general thing like going, he like was admitting going, sometimes I don't know what's going on. We're on the set and like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't understand some what's going on. And then Kim starts going, Oh, you want to know what's going on? Here, here's what's going on. Actor will come up to the director and say, I don't understand the script. I'm like, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. So I take him over to the writer and I just dump him off there. Have those two guys <laughs> knock each other's heads around. <laughs> Why well, well, set up the shot and do my work? <laughs> then I'm ready to go. I go over there and I go, okay, you got you to you figure it out. And if they don't have to figure it out, I just pull something out of my ass. <laughs> and I go shoot the scene. And then Vincent Chevelli, who's standing there next to him, leans yeah. and goes, and we all know that's what's going on. <laughs> we, it, it was so weird. We all just start laughing. And that was like my first, that was like my first introduction to like the weirdness of actors. Yeah. And like all the kind of weird shit. That's a great story. Right. And Vincent knew what was going on. Yes, yeah. he did. And, the, and that like freaked <laughs> me out even worse. The whole thing. So what happened is when we did, when we cast Peter Boyle, I had this fear of go. If Peter Boyle oh. says I don't understand this thing, I would just f I would faint. It'll make you cry. Right. So cowardly of me, I I was only up there for a day, and uh, the first day of shooting, and he wasn't. Uh, it, it didn't involve him, and then I just yeah. got the hell out of there. Oh man. So I I felt I feel bad about that because I would have loved to have talked to the guy, but I was so yeah. I mean, he's so great in that. Yeah. And the whole. It's his story, obviously. He's in the title, but it's even more than Mulder and Scully. It's, it's his story. Yeah, I, Duchovny really likes the episode, but I think Duchovny is always like, oh, it's Peter Boyle's episode. How do you feel <laughs> about Duchovny? Do you guys get along? We, we got along great. Uh, I really like him. We, we got along great. Um, the only reason I'm hesitant is because according to me, my notes. <laughs> uh, we got into a huge fight, and I go. I I I was shocked because we got along so yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, and the fight was over. Apparently, he had improvised a Charlton Heston imitation in the cockroach episode. Uh huh. And I didn't use it, and he got mad at me. And he got upset fight. about it. And I don't remember what it was because I don't remember it at all. And I'm assuming I didn't use it. Something cold, dead hands, probably. Uh no, I'm assuming it's the end of. Planet of the Apes, because there's a lot of Planet of the Apes references. Oh, so right. I think well, it was Well, that's like, Planet of the Apes. Oh. Cold Dead oh, Hands. That, oh, that's right. Uh, no, you're thinking, get your dirty paws off me. Damn dirty ape. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure what it was was like, you maniacs, you blew it up. Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming it was really bad. 
<laughs> and also, I was very after. Here's the thing: after doing Humbug, and when you first did Humbug, everyone was like, "We can't do this. It's funny. We can't. We can't do that." And then when we did it, and most people liked it. Then the next time you did, like especially the Cockers, everyone was like, oh, "This is funny." Let's, and everybody wanted to kind of I join see. in. And I was very no, it can't. Yes. Those characters can't think it's funny. Yes, it's right. got to be played super straight. And it's not just the not just the characters, the actors, but everybody. Yeah, production. Everybody wants to get in on the fun. Yeah, and it, you know how that that is. It's like yeah. And so I became like the guy going no, 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 no. No, totally. We'll definitely like well, some we'll hire someone who's like a very serious actor for like a comedy because you're like okay, so this is why it'll work because it's this guy. Right. And then they'll start throwing in funny lines, and it's like, no, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work if yeah. you're trying to be funny. You yeah. have to be very serious for this to be funny. So um, why? Because you said earlier, very when I said, do you not like Mulder? Oh. And you said, oh. it's more about Duchovny. Well, it's because we got along so well. Okay. Yeah, so you were like, yes. yeah. He. Why do you, what was it? You said you don't love Humbug. You don't like how it turned out. What was that about? Because I really love the episode. And for me, the opening really sets the tone. And I think I read a quote where you said, the way X-Files is set up, deviations from the norm are mm -hmm. monsters and must be taken care of. Mm -hmm. And the normal people must be protected from the abnormal, unquote. So your episode flips that. The abnormal or the normal. You have the opening with the croc crocodile alligator man or whatever his name is. And you think he's attacking them, but he's with his kids and... Uh, the normalcy of being weird, you know, or, or or the importance of finding your community. To me, that's what that episode is about. It's mm -hmm. like finding, just finding your people. Um, and I thought it was very successful. What was it about well, the episode? Yeah, all that stuff's there, and that's why you know it's a good episode. Um, but, and I and I blame my script in a lot of ways because I it was my first script, and there's a lot of just awkwardness. Um, I ended a lot of act outs with some getting attacked that was like, oh no, there's another killer. And that's like a bad, and. But that's sort of the language of yeah, a lot of yes, TV shows. Yes, but that's, you don't want to be, you don't like the language, that. I get that from executives. Here's, here's, here's why I don't like the, oh wait, okay. There, also, uh, that was the episode where I really didn't have a complete control over uh, cutting sure uh nobody <laughs> trusted me and, and i was overruled on a couple of things and here's a couple of things and this is so uh, throughout the script several characters before they're attacked by leonard who's not a creature he's a human being um they uh, they go what the hell they they see yeah. the thing and they go what the hell and then they're attacked yeah because that was me kind of parroting that's so that's a cliche of horror yes what the hell yeah Several several characters throughout. Yeah. And then the end of the script is supposed to be, the way the script ends, the guy goes, oh, it must have been something I ate or whatever, and Jim Rose and the yeah. uh, we drive off, and Mulder and Scully look at each other, and then Mulder says, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody liked that. And I, I still felt, well, it, it's a ending. And yeah. it pays off, the, and nobody liked it, and I got overruled, and so that got cut. So to me, the thing ends, it just feels kind of, well, okay, that's All right, that's, we've and, run out of time. And then worst of all, all those what the hells 
before in the episode I left in there, and so the thing I was parroting is now done for real. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah, real quick, there's a director, James Gunn, right. uh, who directed Guardians of the Galaxy. He was telling us uh, he made this video game called Lollipop Chainsaw, and uh, it's like a cheerleader girl who fights zombies, and each time you rescue someone, he wrote like a hundred things that the people who are rescued say, like, thank you for saving me. Right. And then he would throw in one crazy one, like, my favorite president is Woodrow Wilson, just a random thing. <laughs> right. And because the creators were Japanese, they didn't know it, they put that as the first guy you <laughs> rescue. <laughs> so the first guy you rescue goes, my favorite president is Woodrow Wilson, and runs away. And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck was that? That's how uh, these things happen. Yeah. Uh, what were you going to say? Sorry. Oh, no. That was another thing that, that still gets me mad. It's This still gets me mad. Uh, they uh, dig up the sheriff's potato. Yes. Okay. And the, and then the sheriff goes, uh, the scene ends with the sheriff going, oh, the investigation's not going too well. Yeah. And now it just, it just says that and they just drop the potato. Mulder's supposed to have a line where he says, uh, we're just missing a few pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. Cut to the back of the conundrum's head, okay. which is a jigsaw puzzle. Right. And like I thought, like how often are you going to be able to do that yeah. transition? Are never. You gonna have, right. You're never, only once are you going to have a character yeah. who has a full body tattoo of a jigsaw puzzle. And I got over, oh, no, that's corny. You can't do that. Oh, that's too yeah. bad. So, so things like, things like that, like the the episode itself, it's still plays and there's still jokes and the themes all and uh you know yeah. but uh, it just didn't come out the way um uh, as good as i wanted it to um you mentioned the teaser here's my my story of the teaser i watched it daily i'd come home i'd been there for the whole shoot i came home and they did the teaser so i just saw the teaser on the dailies and uh, it was so not what I wanted. Just the look of the alligator guy. That was the first time I think I saw Leonard. He's in the pool and he looked like a Muppet. Do you get a? You don't really get a great look at him in the dailies. You did, right? Of course. <laughs> right. Of so course, the dailies right. were it's just the guy. Everything about it was like, oh god! And this is the teaser. And this is the teaser of my first episode. And you're just going, my career's over. My career's over. And it was it was late at night, and I was driving home after watching that. And it was a heavy rainstorm that rained for an entire week here. And I'm driving on the freeway, and I don't want to say I'm crying, yeah. but I'm I'm near that, going, my career yeah. is over. This is a disaster. <laughs> and, and it rained so much that the freeway was actually flooded. And I hit a hit a puddle and lost control. I was driving a truck, and I lost control of the truck. And, and spun, I just lost control. Yeah. And so I spun around. I was facing oncoming traffic. Oh, shit. And I'm going, oh, you got to turn the other way. Yeah. The, the way you're spinning, and then I spun too much, and I spun around 360, <laughs> and I ended up sticking out in the middle of the freeway, sticking out into the fast lane. And the only reason why no one crashed into me is because I spun for so long, everyone could slow down. Yeah. So I'm stuck up, and I get my car right, and I start driving, and I'm just like, you're breathing heavy, and you go, oh, yeah. my God, I, I really thought I was dead. You're going, oh, oh, God. And then I go, mm, you know, those dailies weren't so bad. <laughs> and that really Instant is, perspective. Yes, it was like... That taught me a lesson. Yeah, it's just a show. And, yeah, okay, it's not that important. Um, it is, I really love that episode, and it really like at the point it comes in the X Files. I think really needed to happen. I thought D Handy Verlest, however you say it, mm -hmm. which Glenn Morgan and James Wan yeah, wrote. Yeah, I got taken to task for how I pronounced it. 
Um, the titles were never on. That's always the kind of funny thing. I know. Yeah, so no one really knows what the I'm going back called. to the old message boards and people will be like, the one where Scully's yeah. uh, in a coma in a boat. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I know what that one is. Um, so uh, it, it came at a time where I think it needed to be a little more self-aware than it had been. Like it came at a good time, I think. That episode is kind is funny. And then your episode really, I think, gets to what the X-Files is and subverts it just enough to, I think, bring into focus the themes of the X-Files. Like for me, one of the big things is globalization, right? Like the idea that these small weirdo towns are getting stamped out. And I read this news story about Gibsonton. Is that the name of the town? Yeah. yeah I uh, so. The town where yeah. all the freaks right. live that is basically sort of gone because yeah. freak shows are kind of gone. Right. You know, people see that shit online and stuff. And um, so it really, like, to me, that's the, the of all the themes of the X-Files, that to me is the most interesting one. Like, that's what home is about, I think, too, which... Mm -hmm. um, your brother later wrote. Um, so it sort of, what it did a good job was, was sub subverting what the X-Files is, where, where you take these two people who are supposed to be weirdos, but they're not. They're gorgeous. And you show them what the real weirdos are and that they're not that weird. They're normal. But then also sticking to the themes of it. I, I, I think it really um, expanded what the show could be, that episode did. Uh, that wasn't my intention. <laughs> you just wanted to write yeah, a good episode. I was just writing what I, how, I, how I wrote. How but, yes. Go ahead. What what what's interesting to me is you're you're talking about themes, like the theme of colonization, small. Yeah. Uh, looking back at the X File experience after, um, what was good about the show, because now now series are just one story. Yes. It's just one story, and the main focus is just the plot. <laughs> right. The plot of those. Those that story. Yeah. Uh, X Files, um, you could address th that theme of small towns disappearing, or say, Cl Clyde Bruckman talking about the theme of like, oh, fortune telling. Does the future exist? Is there free will, fate? Yeah, free will versus determinism. Yeah. Right, and you go. That's what the episode's about. That's what I'm writing about. I'm writing an X File. It's in the series, but I'm exploring that theme or what. What's interesting to me about those themes? TV shows don't do that now because the themes have to conform to what that series, that sto one story is about. Yeah. And so each episode is really kind of a, an exploration of the individual themes that the writer's doing that week. So to me, like, what's interesting is what makes a good X-File episode and the thing is, the thing is, you can go. I'm sure you've done this as you're rewatching. It's like you go, okay, there's there's a kind of a formula of okay, the teaser is scary, and then Mulder's yeah. gonna have this crazy theory, and then he's gonna think he's wrong, but then there's a death. Scully's appears to be right, and then yeah, Act Three, death, we go to commercial, right, and then Act, act Three, they're in peril, and then gonna, but there are episodes that follow that have all the major things, and but like they're kind of lifeless. Yeah, they don't, and you, and it's kind of hard to say why they have all the things. And one of the things is the lack of a better personality of the individual writers who wrote those episodes comes through, uh, and that's that's another thing that doesn't happen on TV shows anymore because every episode are, are the same, have the same. Right. And X Files, you can really tell the difference between, like Chris. The ones that Chris wrote by himself are different than the ones he wrote with Frank. Different yeah. than the ones that Glenn and Jim wrote than me and Vince. 
and it wasn't a guarantee of our personalities. Sometimes we all wrote bad episodes, but the best ones have a weird, you can tell who wrote them. And the person that wrote them was writing about a, a, th a theme that spoke to them. Yeah. Rather than, here's the crazy thing or, you know. Yeah. You, you know, here's the Mulder Scully continuation. Yeah. Uh, I thought that what your episodes were really good at was those themes, right? Like uh, Clyde Bruckman about free will versus determinism. And also, you're also sort of commenting a little bit. It's a little bit meta in the way that um, about the nature of storytelling itself. There's a line where Mulder says, if coincidences are just coincidences, why did they feel so contrived? And then the fact that the two of them end up in the same room. It's a little uh, bit... Uh, yes, go ahead. That isn't meta. What that is is me recognizing that I'm really bad at plot. And calling out the coincidence? Well, no, but that was one of the appeals of doing a psychic... Yes. Teller. I, I knew when I go, okay, I'm going to do a psychic fortune telling I go why that's good is I can have all these coincidences yeah bad plotting essentially <laughs> because I'm bad at plot I go oh well but I thought that you were sort of commenting on bad plotting in other episodes <laughs> and stuff and <laughs> just by calling it out right uh, yeah it's hard to avoid that times, yeah well you have 41 minutes or whatever you gotta you gotta get them in the same room somehow yeah well it's like when Scully at the end of that, and the elevator's open, and she shoots the guy. And she says, I could just happen to stop here. Right. Any other episode, you'd go, oh, my God. In this one. You go, oh. Yeah. Or it's all connected, this. Yeah. Um, that was a joke. I had to look at my script. It was a joke I put in to myself in, in the script when she shoots the guy. The description in the script is the guy looks down at his wound, and then, like... Not like a guy who's just been shot, but like a writer who's watching the director's cut of one of his episodes. <laughs> and then he says the line in the same way, that's not the way it's supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, and then I remember <laughs> going to the set uh, when I went to prep Clyde Brockman and Kim Manners was shooting DPO, which is a previous episode. Yeah, but Jack Black. And he knew I was talking about him. <laughs> and so he looked at me and goes, I hear I got a phone to pick with you. And he goes, no, I read it. It was very, very funny. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, because... <laughs> it is funny. Yeah. Uh, now, that moment here. So we were talking earlier about Clyde Brockman. And I am sort of an optimist. And I try and find like the positive message in it. And mm -hmm. from that, I thought the idea of no free will to me is very scary, mm -hmm. and I don't love it. And your episode is sort of about that, where he says, where Mulder says something, where something to the effect of, "Well, then, if everything's done, what's the point of doing anything?" And he's like, "Now you're catching on, mm -hmm. right?" But then at the end, it doesn't end the way that the guy has been seeing it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't end that way. Mulder doesn't die. In a way, Clyde Brockman helps him out of that. So is that I took it, or at least I tried to convince myself <laughs> that maybe there is some free will, that you can change some things, that you do have some sort of, you know, power. Right. And is that what that... Uh, no, well, y y y yes and no. Here's the thing. When I, okay, I'm not... Uh, when I go, okay, I'm going to do about fortune telling. Yes. Psychics. You go, here's what doesn't make sense to me about fortune telling. Here's what doesn't make sense. 
And part of it as well, if you know the future, the future, then it's the future is written. It doesn't yes. matter what we do. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who. And you know, like the uh, the phrase I believe is "character is destiny." Yes. If you believe the future is written, that's not true. Because destiny is destiny. It doesn't really matter who you are. Your fate has already been fated. Right. And I think instinctively, we all think that's wrong. We all believe in free will. I know there's like philosophers and sure neuroscientists will say, mm, but instinctively, I think we all believe. Well, you need to. Yes. We control our destinies. We control our fates in that yeah. manner. And I guess that's kind of what I was trying to point out to people who believed in, who go to psychics or believe in fortune tellers, that if you go to them and you believe in them, there's a whole host of things you have to believe. Right. That you're actually not willing to believe because you haven't really thought a lot of this through. <laughs> right? right. So, so that being said, I'm also, though, having my caking and eating it, too, because, and, and like, the whole episode, Mulder, and I did a ton of research on this shit. Mulder, all his, the ways he discredits psychics who help, like, detectives, is all very accurate. There's all kind of, kind of bullshit. The vagueness. The, 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 the vagueness yeah. and, yeah, the things they say and how, how they, um, and yet, the one character's psychic. Yes. All this stuff is accurate. Yeah. And so, and I guess that's kind of the nature of the show <laughs> and how I kind of, what I do like about the episode, it's hard to explain, is that I made, well, it's like one thing that kind of doesn't get me mad, but like I've been accused of like making fun of the show. Yeah, I read a quote, Duchovny said it seemed like you were trying to destroy trying the show. To, right, that's Duchovny being funny. Um, but, I but, think it's a very funny right, thing to but say. Other, but other people have said, oh, he's just making fun of the show. And I really don't think I... I have jokes, yes, about Duchovny and Mulder. Yeah. I have a, a bunch of the, But my intention wasn't to make fun of the show. I think I was, and maybe making fun isn't the right word, but I was pointing out the absurdities yes. of whatever paranormal thing that episode was about, whether yeah. it's psychics or alien abduction and hypnosis. And, you know. and so I was showing the absurdities of yeah. the ability to see the future. Yeah, and I never thought that you were... I mean, I, that's him being funny, and it is a very funny thing to say. And I do think that you call out um, a lot of the sort of language of exiles and stuff. But, but in a way that it, I never felt like you were trying to make fun of the show. Uh, I always thought... I mean, you know, it's my favorite show, and your episodes are my favorite episodes. So if that wasn't true, right. I, I, would, I would have hated your episodes if you really were, if I really did get that sense from them. Do you know this phrase? I talked about it and I did the episode Locus of Control. No. It's this phrase, my wife was a therapist. Um, she brought it up and she says a lot of like college uh, essay, like when you submit applications, they'll ask this question and Locus of Control. I don't want to talk about it too much because I talked about it a lot when we talk about Clyde Bruckman is there are two kinds of people, people who think it's an external locus of control or internal. And internal people think that they're the ones who can sort of affect their own lives and affect their own. There's no such thing as destiny. And mm -hmm. people who have an ex external thing think tend to sort of blame outside factors. So, the, you know, they'll ask a question like, do you believe in destiny? And if kids say yes, well, that means they're more likely to blame other people for, you know, uh, things they're doing rather than you know, taking control of themselves or whatever. Right. And it feels like the bad guy in this episode 
um, sort of has an external locus of control in that he's like, why am I doing these things? And then Clyde Brepham goes, because you're a homicidal maniac. And he has this moment, he's like, oh, yeah, that does make sense. Um, I thought that was very interesting from like a perspective of just like different personality types, even though, you know, your episode isn't even really about that specific thing. But that's that's that part of his character destiny. Does it who you are affect what happens to you? And yeah. the answer is yes. Yes. But some people don't. Yeah. Don't think that that's uh, true. Yeah. Um, I can tell you the weird story. Yes, please do. Okay. Uh, and this is once again a little convoluted. No, please. Okay. <coughs> so when I'm writing uh, Clyde Brockman, I got he was just a serial killer, killing fortune tellers. I didn't have the character defined, and he just was. Serial killer cliches. I, I, you know, it was just I'm a serial killer. I didn't know what he. I didn't know any. It was just terrible. He wasn't a guy who saw his own actions. No, no, no. He was just a serial killer, and I yeah. didn't have any. And it was just like a, a crazy serial killer. I go, wow, this is awful. <laughs> and I go, okay, well, what's the opposite of this? What's the opposite of what I've got so far? And Stu Charno, was the actor, was married to one of our writers, Sarah. Yeah. And, and he had come by a couple times, and I only knew him briefly. He was just like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. But he had kind of this goofy, he was an actor. I knew he was an actor. But he had kind of this kind of goofy. He's like a putz. Char- yeah. Yeah. And it was like a kind of a Harple Marx kind yeah. of quality. And so the minute I thought of him, I go, oh, Stu Charno. Yeah. And you go, oh, if the guy is goofy, he's not like Zerigula. Oh, that's interesting because then like, why is he killing people? And he's like, he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be, yeah. but he is, and what does that mean? And it's like, the minute I thought of Stu, the, the whole character kind of fell into place. Yeah. Okay? So I I wrote, you know, and then we didn't ca- we made him audition <laughs> because I'd seen him in a commercial or something, and Sarah goes, no, he's an actor, but you go, oh, is the guy any good? So we actually made him audition and cast him. Before he goes to the, the part, he, he go, we, we met, and he goes, okay, how do you, how do you want me to play this? Yeah. Okay. And I was, I, once again, this is my first script, and this was like pre Vincent. Che- no, this is the second one. So yeah. this is still coming off to Vincent Chevelli. Yeah. And I still didn't know how to talk to actors. Yeah. Okay. So he goes, How do you want me to play this? And I was really confused. And I go, Well, I wrote the part. Yeah. I go, Just be yourself. Yeah. Just be yourself. Yeah. And I, de- and I, and I describe the character as, I, I actually describe the character as an amiable goofball. Yeah. When we, when we first see him. Wow. Okay. So he goes off, and I'm watching dailies, and I believe like the first scene is the teaser. Yeah, where they bump into each other. Right, and I go, "What the fuck's he doing?" Oh, he's being all creepy. Yeah, because he's not being <laughs> himself. The way he is in the last scene with Brockman in the hotel room—that's yeah. how he was supposed to be throughout. I felt like he was like that. No, no, <laughs> he's not. <laughs> he's not because because I, I went, "What the fuck's he doing?" <laughs> No, the one where he's holding her hand and he's, where she's like, you're hurting me. He's like, I know. I know. I, I don't know There's why. a gentleness there. Yes. Did you know the gypsy, the phony gypsy in that teaser is also the mother under the bed in home? I found out a couple of weeks yeah. ago when I was looking her up. I, I didn't find like, that oh, until beautiful. last year and Glenn didn't know either and Glenn has used her in really? all his movies. I go, did you know that was Karen? Yeah, so it was... Anyways, that's Glenn's like avatar pick on his Twitter. Is. Oh, oh, the mom of the yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you on Twitter? You're not no. on Twitter. 
Okay. Uh, okay, so I see the scene, and I go, well, what's he doing? He's not being himself. Yeah. Right? So I had to call Nutter. Nutter was a director. Yeah. And I go, I go, he's not being himself. And then I had to explain how I wanted him to be. Yeah. And and that's what I should have said. To him. To him. Okay. So, and then eventually, the the way he is at the, the end is how I wanted him to be yeah. through the whole thing. When the episode re-ran, I think Stuart called me up and he goes, I was like really bothered by my performance. And I went back and looked at the script. I go, I kind of did that wrong, didn't I? And I go, well, yeah, sorta. I go, but it doesn't matter. Because everybody likes it, it doesn't matter. And I go, and it may have been better that way. You know, maybe the other way, the way I intended wouldn't. And he was like, and he had said, well, you know, I, I wanted to like give the character an arc. Right, it was like an actor yeah. thing, and I didn't say it. I was like, "Oh man, if I wanted the character to have an arc, I would have written him one." No, he's that not supposed to have that, an arc. Right, exactly. The whole point is that he doesn't. Okay, my point, yes. And so the thing is, at the time, I kind of go, "All oh, these actors." Yeah. Okay, but it wasn't until Small Potatoes, I realized how stupid I was because Vince goes, "Oh, you want to?" Okay, I agreed to do Small Potatoes. Vince sends me the script, and I call him, and I go, "Okay, how, you know, how do you want me to play this?" And he goes. <laughs> Just be yourself, <laughs> and that's when I realized, oh, that's why I'm an idiot. What should you have said to Stu when you well, first asked? Well, because here's the thing: here's the thing. <laughs> uh, if you say to someone, "Just be yourself," yeah, it's a meaningless yeah. thing because everybody acts differently. Oh yeah, with their family than at the office. That's everybody right. acts differently, and the things you're asking them to do, they don't. Stewart has never killed anyone as far as I know so he doesn't right. know how to be himself when, or I don't know yeah. I'm being interrogated by FBI I've never been interrogated by yeah. FBI and so I should have explained to him your character is this which would have been difficult because he did ask me why does my character kill yeah. according to my notes I told him because I needed him to yeah. which is not another bad <laughs> that's, bad direction that's, yeah but the whole point it, the character works if he's a guy who doesn't know why he kills because that's the character doesn't know why he kills but I didn't explain that to him that's what yeah. I would have said to him now yeah. see now you, you after years you learn how to talk to actors and go this is what they need yeah so I'll say it to him like this and he will be himself yeah the because what because what you're really saying is be the be the person I think you're, like, be the amiable. I'm sure Stewart doesn't think of himself as an amiable goofball. No, but call but him that's, a, that's yeah. how I describe. The well, game. I mean, yeah, tell someone to act like themselves and they won't exactly. because that's when they're self-conscious. They're like, "What am I? How do I hold my hands when I'm myself?" Exactly. Yeah. So, I screwed that up, but. But, but so you thought that there was a gentleness there, like in that scene we're talking about. He's not supposed to. That's what you. Yeah, you're he's reading. supposed to be. He's supposed to be going. Why am I killing you? <laughs> yeah, it's supposed yeah. to be. Uh huh. Okay. I don't understand this, and it'd be like I would. I probably would have told him, "Look, you, you're like a funny guy. You find amusement in all things, and yet you're killing people, and you shouldn't be, and it makes no sense, and you think that's funny too." Yeah. So it'd be like that's great because. Wow. Yeah, okay, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I hadn't ever thought of the character in that way, and it worked for me because he doesn't have that much screen time anyway. You don't really it's see very him short. that much. Also, the way he looks uh, does help the amiable goofballness yes, he's because he's very... that's 
one of the casting things is that he does not look like a serial killer. No, he looks like a normal kind of a goofy guy. He's right. a goofy looking guy. Right. So that still works. And like I said, yeah. maybe the way he did it actually was better. Yeah. Who you know? Who knows? N- that's interesting. Well, how? So you cast as you cast Duchovny stand-in. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And you wrote it for him. Yeah. I met Yap on Humbug. Yappy. And, yeah. Yappy. His name is real name is Yap. Okay. And uh, he. In real life, his accent is much thicker. Than much Yap. thicker? He's thicker, yes. Very hard to understand. And he's much more manic. Where is he from? He, he's from Holland. Okay. And then some, I think it was like he was from Montreal or Canada. He moved. Yeah. And then found his way to Vancouver. Very thick Dutch accent and very, and you can't understand him. And so when I first met him, I literally went, oh, God, I got to use this guy. <laughs> you know, he's crazy. He's not crazy, but he's like a one-of-a-kind eccentric. Oh, yeah. Well, there's one line where I don't understand what he says, and what he says is, so is your old so man. Is your old man. He's like, so man. Like, <laughs> it's what my favorite was, line. <laughs> what was that? That's, so... He's trying really hard to be understood. So is your man. Yeah. So is your man. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and uh, you know, I used Jim Rose, who wasn't really an actor. He, uh, I, I, so Yappy's fucking great in it, too. Jim Rose is really, really good at him, but Jim Rose is used to sort of, he's a showman, right? Yes, so he can showman. talk in yes. the sort of mock theatrical way and it works for the character. But I think uh, true of him and Yappy and even me in Small Potatoes, um, you could have got better actors to play all those parts, but there's a quality right. of those. The fact that Duchovny's doing a scene with his stand-in yeah. creates a weirdness that you helps the scene that if it had just been some actor that you'd cast in central casting. Well, and, you know, in a way, it also works because, and obviously people watching won't know it unless they read about it, because that guy's in the position kind of that Duchovny wants to be in, right? Duchovny wants to be the guy who walks in and mm. there's this theory and everyone's, like, applauding mm. and, like, but he's not. Duchovny's the um, the guy who's, like, outside the room when the, when, the, when the guy, you know, so he's a weirdo and everybody loves him, but Duchovny's a weirdo and everybody thinks he's a fucking weirdo. So that works, too, in that they're sort of mirror images. In some, not mirror images, but they're, like, a... Two sides of the same kind of coin, or something. That was my favorite gag in rewatching it this morning. Is and it was this was in the script is when Yappy first comes in, the guy that's been taking the crime scene photographer takes a picture of him, <laughs> and then he takes off his glasses and goes, "No, no, no don't take my picture." Yeah, don't take my picture. Yeah, that's yeah, so one of my favorite. Gags. It's very funny, and what you do a lot in your uh, uh, sort of misleads, which I think you do really well. It happens in the. Uh, you know, all, it happens a lot in um, Humbug, and it happens here where they're like talking about you think Mulder, and then it's Mulder comes in and goes, Who the hell are you? And it's really yappy. And you think that the one who's skeptical is Scully, but the one who's blocking him is really Mulder, right? Uh, I thought it was really interesting in that in the Humbug episode, Jim Rose, in a way, is a mouthpiece, it seems to me, for a lot of things that. For the writer, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's saying that genetic engineering is going to mm-hmm. like stamp out the weirdos and stuff. But then he also turns out to be kind of a um, a, fra- a fraud, a fake, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, that great moment where the, the cop pulls on his chains and he goes, oh, ow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. really funny. Yeah. Um, and then the bed of nails isn't hard. So so that, I thought that was interesting because it's 
a lot of times in a movie or TV show where you see someone who's like, you know, Woody Allen does this, where clearly, oh, this guy's a stand-in for, for the writer. Sometimes they can become a little un- insufferable. Right. M. Knight uses himself as a stand-in for himself, but I thought that the fact that he, you sort of take the piss out of him too, really was very effective. And We're all freaks. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> No, I, I really, really like that. I, in the, I don't know if you listened to the Humbug episode of the podcast, but my wife and I talked yeah. a lot about how, you know, she was like a goth in high school and yeah. she was a weird kid who sort of embraced a weirdness. And she's met the conundrum and like she went to see the Jim Rose Circus like 94. I think this episode is 94 or 95, yeah. somewhere around there. And I was always like, I didn't want, like I just wanted to be normal and cool and mm-hmm. I just wasn't I just wanted to be a cool kid and I never was and I think watching that episode was really moving for me because you I think accepting you for who you are is uh it's it's very important and it's it, you, that's how you can be comfortable in life right is being okay with how you are and finding people who are okay with how you are unless you're like me <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you don't want to be like me I'm not comfortable being me um Yes, you are. You okay. quit after four episodes. One of the things I found interesting watching and talking about the, the humbug, you're, the people who are listening to your podcast who have never watched or watching the show for the first time, I'm assuming our kids. Yeah. This they is... will not understand that when this episode was made, people, there were, people did not have full body tattoos. Yeah. That was a real freak thing that's and, a crazy thing yeah and even tattoos in general like when i was a kid uh only uh military and convicts yeah had tattoos. <laughs> and now that that scene doesn't even really register that he's got a full body it's like oh so what is you bump into a guy off the street yeah and i remember when they came in for the first time to the production offices um they named me. He had like a huge hoop in his mouth. Yeah. That I didn't want. And he goes, "Oh, I can take it out." And then he goes, "I also have pierced nipples." Yeah. And I had never. This is back when people did not. I didn't yeah. even really even know why would you pierce your nipple. <laughs> and I go, "Well, what what does it look like?" And so he took off his shirt, and I was like, "I'm looking at the pierced nipples." Yeah. Which is now you just go, "Who who gives a shit?" Yeah. Like, but I'm going, "Oh." 50% of people have Exactly. And I'm like, going, whoa, 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 this is so gross. And I go, How, what do I say? Because I didn't want him to wear it, but I didn't want to be like one of those jerks. Like, oh, take him out. Yeah. I go, oh, what do I say? And then I realized that everyone in the production office, there's like 50 people, it has gone dead silent. And they were all just watching me look at his <laughs> pierced nipples. And, you know, they're all Canadian, so they hadn't seen pierced nipples either. <laughs> By know. the way, that's a great quote. They're all the Canadian, so they hadn't seen pierced nipples. nipples. That's it's great. True. <laughs> it's true. But that's how the weird, that was a what we now take as self-expression and being comfortable with yourself. Yes. You couldn't be as comfortable back then. Yeah. There was more, more rules about what you could and could not do with your nipples yeah (laughs) (laughs) now there's no rules yeah your nipples are a canvas yeah express yourself using them um so before we stop we should um you found some uh stuff in the x-files box right i i have i have all my old sensor notes i have a crazy letter i just read i I gotta read you this please do one letter i i used to this wasn't addressed to me and I had, for some reason, I always kept this in my office. It was, it was taped to my office. And it, it's not dated. 
but the guy's from Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, to whomever at Fox, get rid of the X-Files and bring back sightings. What? What is that? Now, sightings, which I didn't see, I'm assuming it's just like when I was a kid, there was a show called In Search Of. Okay. Which was like documentaries on paranormal things sure. that Leonard Nimoy hosted. Okay. And I'm assuming sightings is the exact same show, only they probably cut out Leonard Nimoy's part and just put in someone else. Okay, sure. Right. So it must have been the year before. This must have been after the first season. <laughs> I thought it was your sightings. I thought it was your best show. Don't care for this X-Files. <laughs> Don't care much for fiction. I like sightings documentary style. <laughs> Interviewing people and reports on UFOs, Loch Ness Monsters, Bigfoot, etc. Real stuff works, not made up stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Real stuff like the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> <laughs> Real stuff works, not made up stuff. It's one of my favorite lines. <laughs> There's not much to watch on Fridays anymore except 2020. <laughs> I, I used to look forward to Fridays at 9 on Fox. Not anymore. You just lost the viewer, Fox. Oh. I, I love the fact that he addresses Fox like it's a best friend. Yeah. Just let him down. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, poor guy. His life must be so sad. Yeah, I guess I just kept that to remind me that's what people really thought of the show. Well, it's interesting. Sometimes you, you know, I am on Twitter and people will say crazy stuff and I'm, I'll get angry and I'm like, mm, that that person's life is probably, I mean, they, people are crazy. If they're, you can't. if they're worried about 2020 and yeah. that's, yes. Loch Ness Monster. Um, speaking of crazy, this was the other letter and I, uh, this was, to, uh, well, I don't want to read it because the guy's obviously insane. Okay. And we used to get letters of people going, writing about their UFO experiences and they would say I've never told anyone this and then oh, like, you're no. going why tell a TV I'm why? not the person yes exactly Good talk to therapist. the yes um, but this one guy wrote this letter and it was dressed to Chris but they gave it to me because the guy was from San Diego where I grew up so they thought I could relate to him that was the joke uh, but he <laughs> he dated the letter it was July 28th 1995 and then underneath it in parentheses he wrote human calendar so you know this is going to be right, good right and then the thing is he started off the letter the first two lines the first line is i am disguised as a human but he spelled it h-u-e-m-a-n okay uh and then it goes i i wish no publicity it was the second <laughs> line okay. and the rest is just craziness well so it. it says human years it says human that calendar. is spelled human h-u-m-a-n that's spelled properly right and then the first line is i am a human okay in my mind in my memory, I merged those, and I always remember it as being human calendar. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's human. But the thing is, is that f from the time I first read this, I still to this day will occasionally, when asked to give a date, will give the date and then say human calendar. <laughs> human calendar. Yeah, like, I'm going to do Chris, that now. Yes, Chris would always make fun of me because I would always, <laughs> when I was there. But but that was, I, I brought that in because that was explaining my own notes that I didn't, I miss. I don't remember some of these things. And I re I always remember this letter as being human. I, and then when I found this letter, I go, oh, no, he put human calendar. Well, I He's mean, not as crazy as I thought. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's not so crazy. He's disguised as a human, but he's just talking about the human calendar. Well, it's interesting. We won't talk about Jose Chung right now. Hopefully, you'll come back and talk about it. But, like, you talk a lot about the nature of memory and stuff and, exactly. uh, in yes. that episode. Yes. And uh, I, I just watched that one yesterday, and it's a really, really, really good. I would love episode. to come back because I think actually because that, that one, it's like my favorite episode actually, and I think this is the most misunderstood 
I want. You know, I would. You're back. You'll okay. come back. I'll then well, I'll do the censor notes. I have all these. I don't want to go over everyone, but there's like some funny. Some stuff. good ones. I, okay. Do wait, we not? I'm just, no, I'm just. Time? I'm just gonna tell you. This is the first one of Jose Chung. This will wet your whistle. This is the first note on Jose Chung. Okay. Page four. Caution that Jose Chung is not portrayed stereotypically gay. What? <laughs> <laughs> so we cast Charles Nelson Riley in the part. <laughs> yeah. What? What? He's gonna be Charles Nelson Riley. Um, I read one thing where you. The word liquescence you oh, use because yeah. they what was that story and uh, they Clyde Bruckman uh, they would not they would not let me use the word maggot why because it rhymes with the word no, that's it, more objectionable you know, their 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 objection was to um, the the graphicness here here's here's the note I'll read yeah. this quick as scripted the tulip should hide the more intimate parts of Bruckman's body <laughs> including his buttocks <laughs> the time lapse dissolve of Bruckman's body should be very brief and not too distasteful. In addition, please delete the following of Bruckman's more graphic descriptions of his de decaying body. And this is a line as it was written. Next, the blowflies arrive to deposit their eggs, and in no time, maggots have devoured all my flesh. My innards rupture while my tissues liquefy. Yeah. I couldn't use any of that. I couldn't use any of that. Wow. And you go, why? And, and the, I couldn't use the word maggots. And, and the reasoning was just like, oh, no, with the, gra with the image, it's like too much, too much. And so, like, I, I changed it to, oh, the insects arrive. And then my own inside joke was I changed it to putridity and liquescence. <laughs> Nobody talks he would like never that. say that. He <laughs> would never. Um, and then and like, that worked. I couldn't even have Bruckman vomit off screen. He sees the image of the dead body. Yeah. And he runs off to, to vomit. Yeah. He's, and they go, no, you couldn't Why? hear. You couldn't hear. We do not want to hear Bruckman vomit. Cough-like sounds are acceptable, but not retching. Wow. So if you listen to it, he actually just goes, <coughs> and it couldn't be in a toilet. It's kind of echoey, but no, it can't be. That's so interesting because if anything, that would make it less harsh because he's a guy who's he's affected reacting. by a he's dead body. To it. Yeah. And when I saw that, when I was going over this, I got mad at myself going, how did I lose that argument? Yeah. And then when I noticed there's no mention, and it must have gotten by them, there's an image. Bugman has the image of the little dog eating Eating hair. a woman. They never... That's the. That's probably it. the harshest image in right. all of the X Files. It, it must have got past them. They didn't know what they were. What? Yeah. They were well, because you didn't flash back when you saw the lighter, so they didn't know what what, what was going what. on. <laughs> they they do have caution that that character is not stereotypically portrayed as an absent-minded senior citizen. <laughs> what kind of note is that? <laughs> so they were worried about that, but it was okay to show her getting eaten by her dog. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> did, did they read this crap? That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming. I, I'm sorry I didn't stay. I knew we were going to go all over the place. No, so. this is great. We actually kept a humbug and Clyde Bruckman. The next time we can talk about Jose Chung and the cockroach episode. Yeah, let's just focus on Jose Chung. That's, that's, that, would be, that would be fantastic. Right. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I was really nervous. I didn't know if you'd be as, you know intimidating, but you're not. No, I'm not. Yeah. But I do have... Pierce nipples, so you don't know that. <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> You're gonna go and blow some Canadians' minds. <laughs> Chris wanted me to cut the line um, after seeing the cut for the first time. He wanted me to cut the line. Everybody's having sex except for me. I think that line is so funny. But, but here was yes, but but here was his reason, and it's in the in the script. It's much funnier. Reading it, that line 
reads really, really funny. I think it's really funny in the episode. But not as funny as it reads. Okay. And so his reaction was, uh, the line doesn't play as well. We should cut it. And then I had to go, no, I, I, I still think it's, it's, not as, yes, it's not as funny as it reads, but it's still funny. Uh, and I need that uh, because he kills himself in the end. I go, and I need all the depressive things that he says. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, that's just going to come out of nowhere. Out of nowhere and seem too yeah. convenient. Why don't you think it? Why do you think it's not as funny as it could have been? There's no. That's just true of a lot of lines. Yeah. You, when you read, um, I'm now I'm skipping ahead to Jose Chung, which you don't want to do. No, no, but no. the funniest line in Jose Chung reading the script is the guy going, "Avoid the lava man" at the very end. I, I think that's very funny. But reading the script, yeah, it's like ah, laugh yeah. out loud, funny, uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't play as funny, and there's no reason why and that's why it's so difficult sometimes because you don't but but i remember when i was a kid I, I read this book by this editor um it was the book was like called when the shooting stops the cutting begins and he cut a lot of the woody allen <coughs> early woody allen movies and the producers and he had made the point that when he cuts with directors who are also the writers that they tend to when some when an actor doesn't say a line exactly the way they wanted to. They just want to cut the line. And he has to go to the directors. The line still works. And that always stayed with me. And and I've done the same. And that's what I think Chris was doing. The same. And, I, and I have done that too, where I have to go, okay, I want to just cut this because that didn't play the way I wanted it to. But it, it still works. It still has a meaning. It, you know, it's just not exactly what you wanted. But that doesn't mean you should just get rid of it. Right. That makes any sense? Yeah, no, totally. Um, that, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was just gonna ask real quick. For me, this is a bigger thing. What I took away from Clyde Ruckman, the episode was he does kill himself, whatever, but he has a connection. So I guess it's the positive I took from that. You said that there's very little positive. You're really in it. looking to be. I <laughs> am. This, well, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, to me, it's that you know. All we have is each other, right? We just make a connection. That's something. Yeah. 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 Okay. That'll work. <laughs> All right. Great. What an uplifting episode. <laughs> There's one more thing I wanted to talk about. Yes, please. Because uh, this is a thing. This is another thing that would definitely be cut if it was done nowadays. And I don't think, I don't know if anyone picks up on this, but there's a scene when he's just been doing the lottery ticket and Mulder knocks and goes, come in. And Mulder comes in, he goes... He does that whole thing. He goes, I know why you're here. Oh, it's you. You found that body. Then he goes, yeah. oh, it's you. Right? Yeah. Uh, I remember Bob Goodwin, who, who's R.W. Goodwin. R.W. Goodwin. It's Bob Goodwin. And he's, he's in charge of production. And I remember him going in the script going, now, wait a second. Are there other... He's involved in another case? <laughs> what else is he thinking of? Yeah, yeah, he was like really confused going, there, there's another case? And, yeah. And I was like going, yeah. He goes, well, well, he was like, really, I go, Bob, it's just like a gag. <laughs> he goes, well, is it really happening? I go, yes, but it's just a gag. <laughs> and if, if it was, if this script was done nowadays, the executives would go, this is confusing. People are going to be confused. Cut this out. Or yeah. they'd go, well, who are these other detectives? Should we have a scene with that case? <laughs> How many go, cases right. is he on? And you go, it's just a gag. It's a funny gag for me. It's a yeah. way to get all that information out yeah. as a joke and you move on. And, but. It would be cut now. I thought that he was fucking with them. Oh, no. 
Yeah. <laughs> There's another case. I thought he was. <laughs> There's another case. That's way funnier. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I did it, like humbug too. Humbug, uh, the in the Hall of Mirrors. Yeah. The creature is not a creature. It's supposed Leonard. to scamper across the floor. Scully turns and fires, and then the creature was supposed to like go, oh, like oh, you got me, <laughs> and falls, you know, dead. And then when she goes to touch it, she hits a mirror, yeah, and then like looks around, and then the thing's gone, yeah. And then both Chris and Bob are like, well, why does the creature pretend to get shot? If not shot, why does he, why does he pretend to get shot? I go, that's the gag. <laughs> and of course, we couldn't do that because of the thing. So uh huh. Like things like that, I I put stuff in there just to amuse myself, really. Yeah. You can't do that nowadays. The writers can't amuse themselves. The executives are are. Why all do you think that's happened? Why has it changed so much? Was it that Fox was a smaller station? That's, I think, the initial thing of why they weren't so hands-on. Yeah. Uh, I think nowadays it's just because audiences are so smaller and you have such a small window before they cancel something yeah. that they have to be, we got to get this, you know. Yeah. They're so hands-on about everything that they kill but I think what people connect to is the personal vision of the writers. I don't think they connect to something that is pitched at them. I think they connect to something that they can see meant something to someone that someone felt passionate about, right? Like when I do stand-up, I try and tell stories that I think are funny. I don't think about what the audience thinks is funny. And I think that's what works best. At least it, it, people respond to like specific specific stuff. Not executives will never give a no. Going, I don't agree with this theme. I don't agree with your viewpoint. It's just plot and stuff. But when you're writing something, you're expressing what's what interests you or your theme, what you believe. Blah blah blah. Yeah. They they don't address that and they they take that stuff out and that's what you're saying. A lot of that is you're expressing yeah a viewpoint and they they can't understand that. Yeah. So that's the first thing they want to cut. Man. But it's amazing that you got to make these episodes exactly the way you wanted to make them. Yeah, and I didn't appreciate it at the time because I didn't know it was never not going to happen. Why did you stop after four? Uh, there's a lot of reasons. Okay. Um, the main one was, was I never sh should have been a television. I'm not suited to be a television staff writer, and I shouldn't have taken a job, and there's a whole story with that, which we can't. Uh, was it your brother? That convinced you? Uh, no, he he tried. He told me not to take the job. I called when it was offered the job. I called him and said, "They're offering me staff. I can't do this." He goes, "Yeah, you're not." Was he offered? Were you offered like, just it was coincidence that your brother was already on the show? Yeah. No. 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 Uh, Glenn was on the show, and okay, this. Is, I'm taking. I don't want you to be late. To your... I don't. It'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> it'll be fine. Um, I had nothing to do with blood. That's another. You did the episode blood. Yeah, didn't yeah. you? I got story credit. Yeah, I got story credit. I have nothing to. <laughs> and what it was was Glenn. I had been out of work, and Glenn goes, "Okay, um, I got an idea for a story. Try to write it, and if it's any good, try to write this script. If it's any good, I'll I'll get it to Chris, and maybe you can, you know." Yeah. And so he goes, "Here's the story. Machines are telling you to kill people. Okay, and I, maybe a day later he calls and goes, "Okay, uh, script came in and it was shitty." It got tossed. We need a script right away. That's the only idea I have right now. So I've got to do that episode. But look, if you come in and help us break the story, I'll give you story credit. But me and Jim have to write it because we need to write it like in yeah. two days. And so I came in. I didn't help him at all. I was probably <laughs> yeah, I because Glenn doesn't need my help. 
And it was like, I'm sure it was only there for like a couple hours. Yeah. But while I was there, um, Howard Gordon, this is how I've heard the story. Howard Gordon was briefly in the story meeting. And whatever I said, he thought I got the show, even though I didn't. I didn't really get the X Files, <laughs> and Howard thought that I did because Howard didn't get the show either, really. <laughs> so they had an opening for a staff, and I think it was Howard that told Chris, "Hey, I think this guy gets the show." And so I got offered the job, even though Chris had never read anything I had written, and I think it was just because he thought, "Oh, Glenn has him working, so he must Glenn trust him." Yeah. And so they they offered me the job, and I I called my agent. He called me. They offered you staff. I go, I can't do it because I was a feature. I wanted to do features. And it wasn't that I looked down on TV, but it's a whole different. It's a different thing. It's a different thing. And I, I grew up I grew up watching TV, but I watched comedies. I didn't watch our dramas. I yeah, Clyde Bruckman is named after a writer who worked silent, with Buster Keaton. Silent stuff. comedies. Yeah. And I, I wanted to be a feature guy. And my the way my mind works, I think of just separate stories, yeah. which is why I did standalone episodes. Yeah. Uh, and I'm and I'm a very slow writer. The, my previous writing job, I had a nervous breakdown and it was a disaster. I was way late and it was just like so. Was it a TV writing? job? It was a feature. Yeah. And being a staff writer, it's time you deadlines. It's yeah. all about deadlines. You have to write fast. And so they offered me the job, and I told my agent, I like I called Glenn I go they they offered me a staff I can't I can't do this and Glenn was like yeah you <laughs> you shouldn't uh, yeah you shouldn't do that yeah so I called my agent go yeah I, I don't I can't do this <laughs> and he was like and he, this guy's still my agent this is the only advice he ever gave me that was like good he goes well what are you doing why not because you're not working I can't get you work you haven't written anything in a while why not take the job it's only for nine weeks it was a nine week and if it doesn't work you work for nine weeks and and I couldn't argue with that. Yeah. And so I go, okay. And so that's how I ended up on uh, staff. Really? Because of Howard Gordon, kind of. Yeah. And uh, then that was season two? Yeah, that was the beginning of season two. And then the thing, like, wh why I like uh, listening to your podcast is because I'm listening to it differently, obviously, and I'm yeah. remembering Dwayne Barry. Yeah. The Dwayne Barry episode. I forgot Chris directed that. I started work the day Chris left to to direct uh-huh he was gone for over a month so like the very first day hi welcome <laughs> bye yeah and i didn't see my boss for yeah well over a month and, yeah oh, i forgot all about that <laughs> and I was, well, how did we get on this topic no i just asked how you ended up oh. writing for the for the show yeah so when i'm asked i always go oh my brother yeah. my brother was on the show so yeah it's, it's, it's simpler than all that because it makes no sense no, I, I. Oh no! You asked why I left, and the and the main reason was yeah. I I was the whole time I was there. It was like, I I don't belong here. Yeah. And I didn't really. I, I was different than the other staff writers in that everybody else who joined the show was a big fan of the show. Yeah. And I watched the first season just because Glenn worked on it. Yeah. And but I didn't really like it. Really. Yeah. And that's why the only episode I really liked and I loved it was. Beyond the Sea. Which is what you sort of said you went back to watch and do Clyde Bruckman right. sort of based on that. Right. You referenced it with the jersey and stuff a little bit. And when I when I joined staff, I didn't really even know how to write a TV script. So I took the Beyond the Sea script and just really broke it down, like how many scenes in an act, how many pages per scene. Yeah. Like, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff and really just kind of analyzed 
how to do a TV script. I didn't even and know. is that how you got the idea to do a psychic show? How, was... Yeah, yeah, because there are only so many paranormal topics. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All of them are in sightings, apparently. Yes. No, exactly. You have a checklist. Yeah. And when a writer did an episode that was off limits, you know, you Jersey Devil can't do that. That's sort of like Bigfoot too. Yeah, it's it's gone. It's gone. And so when I went back to Beyond the Sea, I go, oh, because you forget the guy, the paranormal thing is the guy's really a channeler. Because he was on his experience on the electric chair, he and he was kind of, he could then he can channel, channel other, dead yeah. bodies, which is sort of psychic, but not really right. psychic. And so I was like, oh, psychic's still available. Yeah, okay. So that's where that, uh huh. and trying to do a, like that, I go, it's close, but it's different. Yeah. And it hasn't been done yet, so I can do that. Yeah. What I really liked about that episode uh, was that you mentioned it briefly, like you took a paranormal thing, and then you sort of follow it to its logical conclusion. Well, if they're psychics, that means there's no free will. Ultimately, that's what that means. And actually, there's a line where Mulder says, it's such a small line where he says, the implications of your powers on physics and neuro neuro neuroscientists. Right. Like, you, you never... X-Files never really addresses that. But like, if this is real, some shit is different. <laughs> yeah. Our world is different than we thought. And with that one line, you address all that stuff that, that X-Files never do, where each X-Files seems to be like a self-contained thing and there's insanity and then you just sort of live your normal life. Well, in that episode, you're saying, if this is true, there is no normal life. Right. Everything is sort of changed and different. The implications of it are are, are, are huge. That's, I, that's why I actually love... Uh, Moeller's last speech in Jose Chung because yeah. he tells it not to write the book because it deals with things that we don't understand yet. Yeah. And if we once we do, it will make sense. But because we don't, this all just seems like craziness. Yeah, it seems crazy. We seem crazy. Right. Uh, we'll talk about it more next time. But Jose Chung, I, his last speech is just so good. His his last. The, I like it too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it really brings the whole thing together. It's such a wonderful way. Do you have any other notes from Clyde? <sighs> Alex Dykin, who's who's an actor, I cast in everything. He plays the museum curator in Humbug. Yeah, and then he's in Clyde, and he's the hypnotist in Jose right. Chung. He's the tarot card reader in Clyde Brugman. Yes. And he was supposed. I wanted him in the Cockroach episode as well. And, and as I was writing, he wanted to play the uh, roboticist. That's what I figured. And as I was writing the script, I was so far behind that my description of the script I wrote, okay, the scientist looks, and then I just went, oh, look, just cast Alex Dykin in the part. Yeah. And that's how the script went out. Yeah. And that was the one time he wasn't available. Oh. So I had to go up to the actor on the set <laughs> to explain and apologize. Yeah. And he goes, oh, no, I'm old friends with Alex. I laughed so hard when I saw that. <laughs> that so guy's I, great. Yeah, no, that's why I use him all the time. Yeah. So like, and I've... Continue to, to, con to continue to cast him. Yeah, he's an Intruders, right? Yeah, that was like my yeah. my one thing that I contributed to Intruders. <laughs> so I cast Alex Dykin. Yeah, I was right. Um, I th I think that's um, Red Tulips. What yeah. I, oh, there's a bad. Oh, there's I got to tell you real quick. There was an X Files art show that I went to, and they had this. Someone had done a painting of. Forget the name of the artist. In fact, I never knew the name of the, name of the artist, right. but it's a drawing and it's um, it's beautiful. It's Clyde Bruckman and it's the uh, it's him in the 
you know, that scene where he's right. laying down and right. decaying. And I uh, wanted to- Huh? Was there a painting or a graphic? Yeah. Oh, really? And I wanted to give it to you, but then I also <laughs> wanted to keep it. So <laughs> I struggled with that. No, and that's I okay. Because I still, I, you know, I still have my cards for Clyde Buckman. I know my brother gave you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe I should give these. And I know. I'm keeping them. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. Sorry. I mean, you know, if you have a change of mind, I'm here. I'm actually getting his framed right now. Oh, really? Well, yeah. Oh, that's a lot of cards. No, I'm gonna pick. I have oh, to okay. pick some of yeah, them. Yeah. And uh, my favorite one is Mulder and Scully are too late. So I'm just gonna pick like sort of good representative ones. Uh, how I learned to, I learned to board from Glenn. Yeah. Humbug. I couldn't figure out the end of the second act or something and that was the last thing i go i can't i'm stuck yeah and glenn goes well what do you need to have happen yeah i go well the sheriff they need to suspect the sheriff is the killer yeah because of the jim jim thing but then they need to like find out he's not yeah like, right away but i don't know and so he took a card and he wrote sheriff is suspicious then is not and stuck <laughs> it on my board he goes there you're done <laughs> so I've always kept that card because <laughs> that taught me something. It's like sometimes when you're stuck, you just kind of need, need to go, okay, what am I trying to yeah. solve? And for now, for now, it's that's there. all I need to know. And I'll think about that as I'm writing yeah. the thing. That's and great. Like, yeah. That's actually really good. Um, the, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much. Is Until there... Jose Chung. Until <laughs> Jose Chung, which I'm very, very excited about. <laughs> Me too. Uh, that'll be good. Thank you. Hey, so that was Darren Morgan. Awesome guy, right? So I was going to chop up the interview and put it at the end of different episodes, but I really like just talking to the guy so much that I decided just to sort of put it all out as one thing. Can't wait to talk to him again. Um, email me at thexfilesfiles at gmail.com. Uh, at X-Files Files on Twitter. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. That's the best way we can get our rankings up. Um, and next week, we're talking about a Too Shy and The List with my friend Jared Logan. Um, so we're sort of back to the regular scheduled stuff. And, um, and I'll talk to Darren again towards the end of this season. I think I'll probably just have him on to talk about Jose Chung um, instead of having a regular episode for that. Just have him on. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a great guy. Um, that's all. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Audio. I want to tell you guys about a really cool thing that Randy and I have been working on, and Dan's been involved in this in, as well. Yes, uh, we're building a fort. We are building a fort. <laughs> in some ways, we kind of are. A comedy fort of One sorts. of my favorite things that I see on social media is when someone posts a text chain between them and their mom, or mm -hmm. them and a funny friend. Or two comedians. Two comedians, and you get to see the interaction back and forth, which is so fun. At times, there are text chains that we are on, the three of us, that oh, are yeah. the funniest things ever that only the three of us get to see. So we had the idea, along with a couple other people, wouldn't it be great to allow people to be a fly on the wall of these conversations that happen between funny friends of ours and funny people just back and forth to us would be really fun and so that is sort of the germ of the idea of a special app called Banter and we want you guys to try it and check it out all you gotta do is sign up for it it's free find it in the app store it's called Banter B-A-N-T-E-R uh, get the app it's free and we want you guys to check it out and just pick conversations that are between two people and it the conversations play out in real time and you get to hear it it's curated so 
so nobody's going to be embarrassed. Right. It's the best stuff. But again, if you have a couple of minutes, you're sitting on the toilet, you're waiting for a train, you're hanging out. So you, when you want something, because I so many times this happens to me where I want a, just a quick blast a of quick something blast funny. A quick blast of something and Twitter doesn't give it to me. I want to see this conversation happening between two really funny people yeah. and just get a laugh. We all need that in our day. So in order to do that, check out Banter and just download the app and uh, let us know what you think about it.